Seems like there's a whole lot of doubling down going on, doesn't it? That list that Andrea read, all of those articles found in a simple search on the web taken from a variety of news sources appeared within the last 10 days. And further, they were the ones where some variation on doubling down appeared in the headline itself. There were a whole lot more where the phrase appeared in the body of the article. Yes, there's a whole lot of doubling down going on, enough that I grow tired of and often become more than a little annoyed upon hearing the phrase, which makes me wonder what it's trying to say and why it seems so particularly popular now in this culture, which leads to this sermon itself. Double down, the phrase comes from the world of gambling. After you've been dealt your first two cards in blackjack, you have an option of doubling your initial bet, but you get only one additional card. As you can see, doubling down is risky. Because of the risk, it can be seen as a somewhat glamorous act, putting it all on the line with an impressive, if outsized, confidence in oneself and one's prospects or just in the luck of the draw, as it were. The use of the phrase in the news these days starts from that place, but takes on a slightly different meaning. When a statement or plan or declaration is questioned, criticized, or proved to be outright wrong, the original speaker, far from correcting that statement or revising that plan or retracting that declaration, rather persists only with apparently stronger conviction in a louder voice, impervious to questions or criticism, utterly disregarding any evidence to the contrary. So a statement, questions or criticism, louder, more forceful version of original statement. For instance, I heard of a minister once who believed the congregation he served needed a second service on Sunday morning. (laughs) Over time... The attendance numbers showed a different story, but he persisted for something over three years, doubled down, one might say, on the original plan before he finally relented. Some people are just stubborn, I guess. Now, this stubbornness that comes with doubling down in the bigger picture in the public arena could be seen as a laudatory thing if one were doubling down on human rights or environmental sustainability committed to sharing demonstrable truths about our life together on this planet. But these are rarely the subjects of doubling down in the news stories we hear. It is less about communicating one's convictions about what is true and more about finding out what one can make people believe through incessant repetition. Maybe even finding what I can make myself believe through incessant repetition. 
Sometimes it happens, writes Fyodor Dostoevsky in The Gambler, sometimes it happens that the most insane thought, the most impossible conception will become so fixed in one's head that at length one believes the thought or the conception to be reality. Moreover, if with the thought or the conception there is combined a strong, a passionate desire, one will come to look upon the said thought or conception as something faded inevitable and foreordained, something bound to happen. That is an apt description of doubling down in the modern sense. And for those who may be thinking I've constructed this sermon with little corroborating evidence, those who are asking, is doubling down really that popular a phrase? Couldn't one select any random phrase and find examples in the news? For those who may be thinking this, try Googling thoughtful reflection. (laughs) Or compassionate consideration. And let me know how many results you get. But wouldn't we love to see those in the headlines? After thoughtful reflection, the Congress has moved to. Following a week of intentional, compassionate consideration sessions, the White House has announced. Now, I don't mean to be coy about this. I don't think there's any mystery about the phrase doubling down, gaining popularity in the age of President Donald Trump as he is such a master of the art that the phrase seems like it may have been crafted for him personally. But my point in this sermon is not to criticize President Trump, as while the most prominent practitioner, he is far from the only practitioner. Just think of this the next time you hear anyone showing blatant allegiance to talking points, regardless of the question being asked. No, my point is not to criticize President Trump. There are plenty of other places where you can hear that. But to wonder about how and what it is in our culture that has paved the way for these tactics to be successful, to be admired, to even be accepted, to wonder how we became untethered from shared truths or from even an agreed-upon method of discerning what is true, and to wonder if we here are at least partially responsible. When I say we here, I mean Unitarian Universalists, practitioners of liberal religion, moral and cultural relativists, as we are known by some. Have we examined the ramifications of some of the messages we have been sending out into the world? How about this one? You can believe whatever you want. Right? Haven't you heard that about Unitarian Universalist congregations at some point in time? You can believe whatever you want. We each have our own truth. I understand why those things are said. I get it. My question is, where have they led? In their oversimplified versions, what have they wrought? Journalist Ron Susskind wrote about his conversation with a White House aide in 2004. He says, 
the aide said that guys like me were, quote, in what we call the reality-based community, unquote, which he defined as people who, quote, believe that solutions emerge from your judicious study of discernible reality. That's not the way the world really works anymore, he continued. We're an empire now, and when we act, we create our own reality. Doubling down is based on the premise that I don't have to stop believing, affirming, and proclaiming something just because I have been proved wrong, just because it has been proved false. What, after all, is wrong or false when we are each entitled to our own truth? We, Unitarian Universalists, in our understandable commitment to broadening our perspectives beyond a one-way theology, rejecting a master narrative, challenging a dominant cultural perspective, all good things. But have we inadvertently given up on the need for shared standards in discerning what is true? That there must be a common basis for understanding what is right. That, in the words attributed to Daniel Patrick Moynihan, we are entitled to our own opinions, but not to our own facts. How do we clarify that we are not encouraged to believe whatever we want to believe, but what we honestly come to believe based on the evidence of our experience and understanding grounded in our deep reflection and our resistance to the natural human inclination to self-deception, tested by deepening connections with one another and with life itself, challenged and inspired all at once by engaging beloved community. How do we clarify that we are not encouraged only to a free search for truth, but a free and responsible search? that requires accountability for the ramifications of the principles that one holds dear, that calls us to be open to dialogue with people whose perspectives differ, that requires our beliefs be measured against a never fully known truth that calls us ever forward, and that requires our beliefs be tested on the ground in the everydayness of our lives. That is the way to real conviction, right? If our understanding of what is true arises from the very heart of our lives such that it becomes indistinguishable from what is, yet remains elusive enough that it also calls us into what can be. You see, doubling down can look a lot like conviction. It can be mistaken for conviction, but I don't think what's going on in most cases where we hear the phrase used is conviction. Stubbornness is not confidence. Ignorance is not strength. All too often, doubling down is a conscious denial of what is real in favor of what Dostoevsky calls the most insane thought, the most impossible conception that becomes so fixed in one's head that at length one believes the thought or the conception to be reality. And what's scary is that it's used in reference to powerful people making important decisions, 
Decisions that affect the lives of millions of people, of billions of people, of life on earth. And we are using a metaphor from the world of gambling. Gambling? I never thought gambling was a very appropriate model for a responsible search for truth. I even cringe when I hear Pascal's wager which I first encountered as a child. How many of you have heard of Pascal's wager? Some. Blaise Pascal was a French mathematician, physicist, inventor, writer, and Catholic theologian who lived from 1623 to 1662. And he came up with this notion. He said there is no way to fully know for sure if God exists or not. So what are my options? I could not believe there is a God. And if it turns out that there is, I lose big time. I could not believe there is a God. And if it turns out there is not a God, no big deal. I'm basically breaking even. There's no penalty. There's no benefit. I could believe there is a God. And if there is not a God, I basically come out even again. There's nothing really lost. But if I believe there is a God and it turns out there is a God, payday! (laughs) Right? I win big time. (laughs) My apologies to Pascal for that description of what he said, but um, you'll have to check it out in his works on your own. Now, I was a fervent believer in God at the time I first encountered this, yet it struck me as entirely the wrong way to get there. This was about attempting to discover what was true. And he is using a metaphor from the world of gambling. And it seems just as inappropriate to use in tackling the challenges we face as a species. Doesn't it seem like gambling is what has gotten us into the mess that we're in? Betting against the odds that we can create a technological solution for anything and everything. Betting against the odds that we can have an ever-expanding growth economy with a finite amount of natural resources. Betting against the odds that wealth trickles down. Betting against the odds that democracy will run on autopilot. Betting against the odds that if we simply ignore history, we can somehow overcome it. Does gambling seem like the appropriate metaphor when people's lives are at stake, when life itself is at stake? What does it mean to win? Now, granted, I'm no gambler. Here's the sum total of what I know about gambling. It is not a communal sport. It is everyone for themselves. And while it is about winning, most everyone loses. Doubling down. Listen for it in the weeks ahead and think about what it is meant to say. Doubling down for the most part seems to me to be an immature response to an age of anxiety. It gives the appearance of certainty when it is really just denial. 
It is not pointed toward connection, but rather manipulation. Look at the emperor's beautiful clothes. There are better ways for us to move forward. We need not all be entrenched in our positions with our eyes closed and our fingers and our ears. La, 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 la. How about we as a culture stop rewarding bluster and start appreciating thoughtful reflection and compassionate consideration? Let's push those up on the search engines. We don't make the best decisions. I know I don't. When I am simply trying to rid myself of anxiety and fear. Dina Metzger says it best. There are those who are trying to set fire to the world. We are in danger. There is time only to work slowly. There is no time not to love. Love. 